0: firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival.
1: Hey everyone, it's Jeff Anderson from Modern Combat and Survival Magazine with another podcast to help you better prepare in your role as a protector and a patriot. And this is a very very special podcast because we finally did it. We made it one full year with the podcast with this episode. This marks our one year anniversary, and I think this is probably the the longest I've ever stayed with one thing ever. But um, but I'm really excited because I've really enjoyed doing the podcast over this past year. We've really had some amazing guests on, some incredible information that's been shared. Uh, really hardcore content that can help you with everything from self-defense to tactical firearms training to all-out urban survival. And and I I urge you to go back and check out everything that we've done over this past year. Check out the titles that are there because there's a wealth of information there for anything that you're looking for. Now, to celebrate our one-year anniversary, I want to do something a little bit special. A couple weeks ago, I did a special broadcast where we took tips from our readers and our listeners and we shared them. So this is, this was our opportunity to really celebrate you and all that you've done to contribute as well. Because I get a lot of information from our readers. There's always, you know, there's always something to learn, right? So I'm always asking our readers and our listeners to share their best tips with us so that we can share them with everyone else. And we have a special website set up to do that at mybestsurvivaltip.com. And people that go there and submit their tips, if we do end up using yours in a podcast, on the blog, in the magazine, or whatever, we have a special gift that we like to send out to you as a, as a thank you. Plus, we give you full, uh, full recognition for, for giving that tip. We like to really celebrate our readers and give you all the credit that we can for all the hard work that you've done with your own prepping and your own training and everything. So, I thought, what better way to celebrate our one year anniversary than to do the exact same thing with five more tips from our readers. And the last time we did tactical firearms and home defense and personal defense as the tips that we were looking for. This time we're going to go into survival mode. So, uh, we have a lot of people who give some amazing, some amazing tips there for, for survival. So, some really cool stuff here. Some, uh, so I, and I definitely, you're going to want to grab something to write with for this one because at least one of them. There's uh well. There's going to be lots of notes for you to take, but one of them is kind of detailed. I'll go into it here in just in just a minute. But again, I want I want to thank everyone. I want to urge you to go over to mybestsurvivaltip.com and share your tips. But please. Help us with the podcast as well. Not just with the tips, but make sure that you go into iTunes and go ahead and give us a five star rating if you really like the podcast. Help us get the word out there more. Share it with your friends. When, if you're, if you're on the the newsletter list that we have on Tuesdays, we send out the notice of what that day's podcast was. Just take that email and forward it on over to one of your friends that you think would like that topic. And that really helps us get the word out more than anything. People can they can subscribe to the podcast. They can, um, you know, sh- share the wealth. So we appreciate any help that you can give with us with us getting the word out. OK, so let's go ahead and jump right into these these five survival tips from our readers and listeners. And the first one is going to come from Larry from Royal Palm Beach, Florida. And he says, uh, Jeff, I always have the two best survival manuals with me the Army Survival Guide, or the Army Survival Manual, and the Boy Scout Handbook. And he adds an extra note in here about the Boy Scout Handbook, and he says the Boy Scout Handbook is really a great all-around manual that most people don't think of as a survival manual. It covers all kinds of outdoor bushcraft and camping lore as well as other things. Older versions are sometimes more informative than newer, more politically correct ones. It's a great way to hide your prepping in plain sight because people don't think of Boy Scouts as preppers. I really like this tip, um, one, because my son is in Boy Scouts as well, and I go on all of the, the camping trips that I can with him. So um, it gives me an opportunity to really put my skills, uh, not necessarily to test, but just to stay proficient in things. So while a lot of people are out there putting up their tents and things like that, you know, I will take my my uh my poncho and my bungee cords and my i take my survival gear out with me into the field into onto the camping trips and i'll go and find you know basically as if i'm bugging out so i'll make my hooch i'll put up my hooch somewhere where it's more camouflaged i'll put it in, i'll I'll look for you know where would the where would i typically bed down for the night if i were going to be bugging out and i wanted to stay uh, wanted to lay low and camouflage myself so I really, it gives me an opportunity in changing environments to be able to go and look and see, you know, kind of just evaluate, get better at evaluating my surroundings. And, um, so, and, and I love the skills that are given to the boys in the Boy Scout program. And, uh, this is a great way to train your children. I mean, even if they're not into zombie survival or, or prepping, the skills that you learn in Boy Scouts, you learn how to use a knife, you learn how to use an axe, you learn how you learn wilderness survival, you learn how to navigate with a compass, you learn the stars, I mean, there's so many, I mean, you're right, these are all, uh, these are all great survival skills. And um, I can't think of a better way to train our children in survival and self reliance than to give them this they learn cooking and 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 all sorts of things fire making you name it so that's that's a great great opportunity to to give that kind of training um, with the other stuff the uh and even if you don't have kids like grab a boy scout manual nobody's going to know that it wasn 't yours, but it does have great information in there, a lot of good stuff and it also uh, the, for the merit badges that people get they're more specific training so while the boy scout manual itself might not be uh, might not have a lot of wilderness survival stuff in it. It does. There is a merit badge for wilderness survival, as one example. And you can go ahead and, and, um, go ahead and get that special merit badge handbook that has additional information in there. The, the summer camp that my, my son and I just went on in Arkansas, we, there was shooting there. So we had, there was air rifle shooting, but there was also skeet shooting where my son for the first time was able to do skeet shooting. And uh, I thought that was a great way to get proficiency with a shotgun and things like that in a very safe environment. We all, we had NRA instructors and it was a really great opportunity. Uh, the army survival manual, another great one that has specific survival information in it. The other thing that I would add to this list though, is the the common task training manual for the, for the military. So uh, my army CTT manual it has a variety of different stuff in there, from surviving a nuclear, biological, and chemical attack, to first aid, to digging a foxhole. That basic manual has, those are the basic tasks that every single soldier has to be able to know. When you go through basic training, you're tested on every single one of those tasks. And what I tell people is that um, what better way to test a survival knife than to go through all of the CTT manual? Performing those tasks because that's what the military says. I mean, in in an environment, in a collapsed environment, in a battlefield environment, these are all the things that you might have to do. Well, I, we often say that uh, bugging out or or surviving during a collapse is very much like a military mission. It has a lot of the same survival components to it. So it's always a great a uh, great way to go through that stuff with a survival with your survival knife and see what it can and can't do based upon the different tasks in those manuals. So great information there. Thank you very much, Larry. We've got a special, uh, thank you gift coming your way. Appreciate that. Tip number two is from Mike B from Bonner Springs, Kansas. And he says as a retired state police officer, I have one comment. I have a family at home. When the shit hits the fan, my pay will be gone also. So I will not be out and about. I will be protecting my own. If you're waiting for my help, guess what? It's probably not coming! Exclamation point. Now, I think this is a really great point that Mike brings up, and I'm know Some people might might listen to that and say, "Well, that's you know, that's that's offensive because you know you're uh you're well actually he's a retired state police officer, but even that could very well that statement could very well come from a police officer, a regular an active duty state state police officer. Because during, I mean, we barely have enough, sometimes we barely have enough law enforcement in an area just to be able to cover that area for the normal day. Now, imagine if all hell breaks loose in your area, whether there's protests, whether there are are riots going on, looting going on. If a police force basically has just enough of a force to be able to deal with day-to-day tasks during peacetime, imagine when it's like a war. Okay, so obviously they're they're going to be overwhelmed. And you know, like Mike says, they have families too. So if you're a police officer and you see that there are riots going on and looting and there are houses burning and things like that, aren't you gonna be worried about your husband or wife or and and kids? I mean, of course you are. And are you gonna are you really gonna to wanna to be out there trying to fend off mobs of people or or keep the peace? When you don't even know if your own family is safe or what if something who's going to protect them when you're not there. Now, hopefully they have the type of skills that that they can help defend themselves. But you're still not going to want to be out on the police force taking take care of those duties. So what we often see is that their, law enforcement isn't available. Um, they they might not be there on duty because they're taking care of their own. OK, the other thing is that um when people when when the officers are out there um they're not going to be able to respond to 911 calls now we just went over this in a um in a special podcast that we just did with um with Scott Reitz, and uh you know he he was there during the um the LA Rodney King riots and there was no way i mean actually all of the 911 call centers get overloaded because there's just there's so many 911 calls that come in that overloads the system and the calls aren't even going to be received, let alone even be able to get out to somebody that could respond. So you are going to be on your own. That's the, that's the main thing that basically Mike is saying here, and rightfully so, that you're don't even don't even bother picking up the 911, uh, the the phone and, and dialing 911. Probably, I mean, you're probably going to waste valuable time on hold that you should be using to protect your family and escaping the area. Uh, if it's if it's an area, you know, if it's a type of situation, that's going to force you out of your home. So I think this is a, a, a real realization that you need to have during times of civil unrest that you are not you are on your own. You are not going to get help. Now, that includes even emergency medical help. OK, so if something does happen, even if it's a disaster, even if it's a natural disaster, a tornado a hurricane or something like that, um even during those times if you're not you might not be the only one to, injured from that that uh that crisis other people are as well and again you know emergency responders are not going you know they're going to be overwhelmed as it is so having the first aid skills having a a triage kit what we call a blowout medical kit that has additional stuff in there additional supplies that you might not you know you're going beyond the band-aids Basically, you're going into what if the the breathing, uh, what if breathing can't be restored? I mean, do you know CPR? Do you know mouth to mouth? I mean, those types of things um, are the things that you would normally count on emergency responders to be able to take care of for you. But when they're not coming, do you really want to sit there and watch your your child or your spouse dying in front of you because you didn't have the skills or the supplies to be able to be self-reliant when it comes to that sort of thing? So I think this is a great point that Mike brings out. Mike, thank you so much for submitting that and got a thank you gift coming your way, so we're good to go. Um, okay. Now the next one comes from, uh, basically my survival hero as a reader. Because, uh, this person has left so many great comments on our blog and submitted survival tips. I, all anything that he posts, I learn from. And I'm, and I'm so glad that he's, uh, he's a loyal a fan of of our blog and everything. And if, this is from Dave R. from uh Tempe, Arizona. Um, he says, uh, this is a long one. Okay, I'm going to warn you. This is a long one. So take notes on this if you need to. I probably also have some disclaimers to do as well along this. But uh, so Dave starts out, do you need power? Just look up. Do you see any street lights or parking lot light poles? There you go. Power to those range from... 120 volt AC to 480 volts AC, with 277 volts AC being the most common on streets. Small private parking lot lighting poles are more likely to be on 120 volt AC. If you see a small round thing about the size of a soda can on top of the light head, this is a photo cell. It turns the light on and off via the sun. Those light poles have power in the base that is on 24-7. Some poles are group controlled by a single photocell remotely mounted or via a time clock controller. They may not be hot 24-7. But public streetlight poles are almost always individually hot with a pole top photocell. Virtually all streetlight and parking lot lighting poles have a handhole at the base, usually secured with a single screw bracket in the middle, typically Phillips head uh, screw. Open that up and inside is the line side wiring from the base a fuse holder, and the load side wiring going up the pole. Those fuse holders are almost universally Busman Eaton type hex AA fuse holders. You might find them at Granger, not certain, but more likely you will need to go to a commercial le- electrical supply house. This may cost you as much as $80, but it's something you only need one of. The cheapest thing you can do, or, or the cheapest thing you will need is a multimeter and harbor Freight has them rated up to seven hundred and fifty volts a c for under six dollars. These fuse holders are a two pole double barrel device i 'm not sure what that means, but if you 're in fact have <laughs> this stuff, I have no idea what he 's talking about, but if you know anything about electricity, this probably means means this probably means something to you If you have no idea what this is i 'm not this is my disclaimer okay. I'm not saying go out with a Phillips Phillips head screwdriver and start undoing the base of light poles out there, and 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 giving this a try. Okay, this sound I don't like playing with electricity myself. So go ahead and and um, take this with a grain of salt. But I'm giving you my disclaimer now. If you screw something up or if you get it shocked. Uh, it's not my fault. I told you don't do it. Okay. But anyway, I'm going to go on with what with what Dave's advice is. Um, a screwdriver takes them apart, and the fuses inside break contact before the outside insulator shell separates. So they're fairly safe to open and close. Ideally, open close them without a load. That is, the light on the pole is not on. However, they can still be handled with a load. Just remember, the line side is hot always. Once you have the hex AA open, take the multimeter and set the scale for the highest, voltage, uh, AC, highest AC voltage. Place the leads on the contacts inside the hex AA line side and verify the voltage. If it says 120 volts AC, you're golden and good to go. Take your hex AA and connect it in place of the pole's load side. Pre-wire your hex AA to a heavy-duty 120-volt AC cord receptacle. Ideally one with a GFCI for extra safety. Voila, you now have 120 volts AC day or night any place where you can find a hot 120 volt AC light pole. This is the cheapest and most compact version of this and easily fits inside a bug out bag with very little space or weight. Okay, so great tip from Dave. Uh, again, this is, uh, this is something that I, I, I'm, I'm leery of having people just go out and experiment with. Uh, but the instructions are there according to how, how Dave said to do it. And, you know, the, it, the information is there. Okay. Now, in a grid down, why, how you would need or why you would need electricity, I, I'm not really sure. Like, I'm not sure the actual, in fact, Dave, maybe Dave can do a follow up to this on the actual, um, on the, on the podcast blog notes where, where we post this. But um, in fact, I'm going to I'm going to reach out to him and ask him to do that, because my, my thought is if it's a grid down situation where you would need electricity or want electricity, like for your home or something, then the light poles wouldn't have power to them either. So I'm not sure I'm not sure when you would use this. Maybe all of you out there would be able to figure out some options as well, other than maybe just like, you know, giving the middle finger to the electric company and hooking up your own. I guess hooking up your host house to the, to a light pole. I I don't know. But nonetheless, it's a very intriguing way to get power maybe if you're bugging out or something like that and you you're able to get power uh somewhere along the way to to charge batteries. I use a solar power thing, but um anyway, there might be some applications to this, applications to this that I'm not um that I'm not aware of, and I'm going to ask David to to come out on the blog and, and give some some follow up to this as well. okay? Now this is, this is why Dave is like my my survival hero as far as our commenters and and, and the, the person that I follow a lot of his, a lot of what he's leaving comments for because he he offered another tip that I thought was really good that needed to be added as well. So this is tip number four. Uh, Jeff already suggested joining the Civil Air Patrol and receiving the official ID. Now, what David's talking about here is inside of our um, inside of our Social Chaos Escape and Evasion Manual, which is um, you can find that at socialchaossurvivalguide.com. One of the things we talk about as far as being able to covert, travel covertly, even among areas that are under martial law, and possibly make it your way through ch- uh, military checkpoints is to get some sort of an official ID that is military-based. Civil Air Patrol is one of those that you can get a very official-looking military-style identification that could pass off to some knucklehead private that they stick out on duty uh, as you being a a member of of, um, a military organization and have... Have reasonable rights to be able to go past that checkpoint. Okay, so that's what he's that's what he's referring to. And we we talk about exactly what that is, how to do it, and everything inside of the inside of the manual. Okay. Um, anyway, to to go on with what David's response, uh, David's tip is here. He says to build on that and fill many needs with one item. My suggestion is to get a dark blue version of the one piece uh, Nomex flight suit CW um, CWU 27 slash P. Um, Civil Air Patrol has a series of what are categorized as corporate-style uniforms, which may be worn by all senior members and also by those cadets over age 18 who do not meet height and weight standards uh, set for the the USAF, uh, United States Air Force-style uniform. These solve many issues. They can easily be slipped on over anything else you're wearing, are fire-resistant, are dark blue for lower ob- observability And what he's talking about there is that actually the way that the eye is con- your eye is configured, the rods in your eye that, that pick up color during low light hours, the color blue is actually twice as hard to make out than other colors are. So what, what that means is that um, blue is like an inv- is an almost invisible color during dark hours, whereas black actually stands out a lot. People would think the opposite. Right. You think that that black stands out or I'm sorry, black would make you invisible. Not true at all. Um, Grays and blue and and dark blues are what make you invisible at night. Okay. Uh, to go on here, uh, they also have tons of pockets and legitimately ties in with your Civil Air Patrol ID in an official capacity and compacted down into a small compression stack. uh, Stuff sack can be tucked away almost any place, even just clipped to your belt. Most of the CWU 27 slash P Nomex suits are in khaki or sage, so it might be tough to find one in dark blue, but they are out there. Um, there are, he does give a link here as well, and, um, you can just, you can just Google it online as well. Uh, Nomex is a huge plus. It is your anti-Molotov cocktail foundation. So, um, actually, uh, this, I have my Nomex suit from, from when I was a, I was an aerial observer for a period of time when I was in the military as well, working, on reconnaissance with Apache helicopters and things like that. So I have um I still have and I still fit into I'm I'm happy to say my, my uh my military uh, Nomex suit which is a it is that sage green one that you typically see like in you know uh Top Gun and stuff like that. The blue ones can be very expensive if you buy them new. Um one of the other options that you have they, there is a, a dark blue one that is out there uh It can cost up to about two hundred dollars. I've seen them for up to about two hundred and seventy dollars. So they're very expensive. Another option would be the Coast Guard one, which is a royal blue. Royal blue will still be pretty well invisible at night. Not as much as like a dark like a like a navy blue is. But you can get those on eBay sometimes, depending upon your size, you can get them for about thirty, forty dollars which is and, and, it, and it all has the same, you know, the pockets and everything else that you that you'd be able to carry equipment in. So um, I would suggest getting one a little bit larger so that you can wear it over top of other clothing if you need to put it on. And it does offer you some of those same those same um, benefits there as well. So that's a that's a great uh, tip from Dave. So thanks very much, Dave. Now we get to the last tip here. Uh, tip number five comes from Derek D. from Jacksonville, Florida. And Derek says, if you don't have it on you, then you don't have it. Keep necessary items on your person based on your environment. If you leave it in the car or truck, you may not be able to get to it when you need it. If you leave it at the site while you go hike or hunt, what good will it do for you? I always carry a knife and a fire striker everywhere. So uh, Derek's absolutely right. And we talk about this a lot where a lot of people will store their survival gear in different locations. What I mean by that is you've got your you have your home, you know, your your stockpile of food, you have weapons there, you have different gear that you have there. You have a bug-out bag that has everything inside of it. And there are people leave those in different places. Um some people have a special room or a closet where they hide or where they put them like the front closet where they can just grab it and go. Um I don't, I don't prescribe to that, that method of it. Um, for me, the bug-out bag belongs in your, in your vehicle. But even with the vehicle gear that you have, uh, responding to an instant emergency, like an active shooter scenario or a disaster comes through that actually just picks up your car and sends it sailing or wipes out your house or whatever, um, there, there are times during instant emergencies where all you may have is the gear that you have on you right then and there. Now we talk about this there are 27 different items that we suggest that you consider having on you for your everyday carry gear. You can go uh, check that out at um covertsurvivalist.com. Talks all about um EDC gear or everyday carry gear that you can carry and um and Derek brings up a couple here. So obviously a knife is is something that a lot of people have on them. A fire striker. Um I'm more inclined for EDC to have some sort of a lighter on me rather than trying to you know make a fire with with flint and steel, um, I take an instant emergency as it's probably not going to be long term or I 'm going to have access at least for a short while to other other gear, but there might be times where you need instant flame so having a lighter, actually what I prefer is what I call a super lighter, and Coleman makes these, and there are some other ones, but basically they're they're very wind resistant. And um, they they you know they put out like a, a really um, like a, a like a a flame that is almost like a like a torch in a way. You know, it's not your typical Bic lighter flame, but just having a Bic lighter on you is still going to give you flame. Right. So anyways, um, I do suggest you also have something that you can light some sort of a fire if you need to. It could be used for a diversionary tactic or something like that. There's a lot of different uses, but when you need fire, you need fire. Right. So um there are other things that I we suggest that you carry on you as well when it comes to everyday carry gear as well as even just like a ta- we call it a MERS or your man purse or a tactical a tactical bag that you carry with you is another way that you can carry additional gear on you that the whole purpose of your EDC gear and the purpose of your tactical MERS is to help you respond to an instant emergency and get to your other survival gear whether that is to get to your vehicle that has a bug out bag in it or your uh, your vehicle gear in it, or to be able to get you home where you have all of your other shelter-in-place survival gear, or whether that is you know your your car is gone and your your house is gone, but you know the gear that you have on you can help you get to your plan B safety destination. You know, hopefully you have something designated as a survival retreat. It doesn't need to be a bunker in the middle of the you know the mountains of Montana. It can, but it just needs to be someplace that is outside of the, uh, the, the general area where you are that is more of a safe zone and even just getting there. But your everyday carry gear, if you don't have it on you, you might not be able to use it. Okay. So great tip from Derek. So thanks so much, Derek. We've got a, a thank you gift coming your way. Appreciate that. And that wraps up the, uh, the five reader tips for our special one year anniversary of our podcast, special broadcast. Again, um, please go over to our podcast on iTunes and give us that five star rating that we're looking for. Leave a good comment in there. What do you like? Uh, what are your suggestions for other things that we other topics that we should be writing about? Um, we could always use um, your comments. We, we look for, you know, as much feedback as we possibly can, because this really is all about you. It's about giving you real solid information and um and just, you know, sharing, sharing the love. That's what the whole MyBestSurvivalTip.com site is about. So please go over there, MyBestSurvivalTip.com and leave us your own comment. Again, if we use your, your tip inside of the magazine, the blog or the podcast or email or whatever, then we'll be sure to send you a thank you gift as well. So again, go over to MyBestSurvivalTip.com. And until our next Modern Combat Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying train hard, stay safe, Prepare now. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate your support.
0: This has been Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment.